Lord, uh, specifically uh, at this time, we're thankful for your word. Lord, we ask that it will uh, move us, it will encourage us. Lord, that we will, we will uh, put our fears and our insecurities and our egos, Lord, our baggage, our past hurts, we'll put all that on the altar, Lord, uh, that we can, we can put it at the foot of the cross this morning. Um, so we can hear what you have to say to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in the book of Colossians. And I like the book of Colossians. It's fun. It's, um, it's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul uh, had, had written the book of Colossians while he was in jail in Rome. And the church in Colossae had become a church because of a young man, we assume a young man, named Epaphras. And Epaphras, he sat under the teaching of Paul when Paul was in Ephesus. So he heard Paul preach in Ephesus some 150 miles away, 200 miles away. He went back to his hometown in Colossae, and he started a church himself. Here's what's interesting. As far as we know, the Apostle Paul never made it to Colossae. He's writing a letter to a group of people And he's telling them everything they need to do so that they can focus in on God, so that the church will grow, so that they can please the Lord. And he's never even set foot in Colossae. But that doesn't stop him from having encouraging uh, comments and exhortation to them. He meets them in that place. He has those conversations. He He wants to liven them up. But it seems that this church has had a little bit of a problem with getting a little distracted. Now, it's not so much distracted like, hey, look, something shiny. It's more distracted like, we've kind of outgrown Jesus. Let me give you an example. If you walked in here this morning, and I opened the service by simply saying, well, uh, you know, the Lord has done a lot here, but maybe we've got as far as we can go. Using scripture, so if you'd open up your Qurans, maybe we could maybe we could see what the Lord has to say to us today. Um, one of three things would happen: as uh, soon as church was over, I would either be waterboarded, <laughs> interrogated, or at very least called into a meeting. And, and told, explain your reasoning, especially your theology, on why in the world we jump from the Holy Scriptures to the Quran. Uh, this could end badly. For them, it was this idea that, you know what, there's Jews here, there's Greeks here, there's Druids here, there are all these people who've come in And we love Jesus. We really do love Jesus. But it seems like kind of maybe we kind of got to do something else. Something maybe a little more, check this out, modern. Maybe we need to, maybe the faith needs to grow. Maybe maybe the Bible and Jesus and all that, maybe that's just a little old-fashioned. Do you hear 2,000, 2,000 years ago? They're having the same conversation that people around here try to have? But you've got to remember, Colossae was dying. It was a dying town. And you know what happens in dying towns, in dying, in dying states, dying countries? 
know what happens? We begin grasping for straws. We begin to... I'm not saying it's us. I'm just saying maybe in Colossae. We show up with some political leaders that maybe nobody's really excited about. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's just... Maybe Colossae had that problem. We begin to reach out and grasp for something so different because whatever has been in place hasn't been working real well, so let's just get something completely different. You know what else you do? You begin to pour money into things that just seem strange. You begin to create tourism things. You begin to create these, you know, sightseeing ventures. You begin to try to, you think to yourself, political leaders, they get together and they say things like, what can we do to really increase uh, the, the economy here in our little dying place? But the same thing happens in churches. When you're in a place and you feel like you're getting left behind, like the times are moving forward and you're not going anywhere. We start grasping for straws. Well, maybe Buddha's got something to say about this, you know? Jesus got us to here and we are, for, we are eternally grateful for that. But maybe... Maybe Gandhi's got something sweet for us to, we can focus on for a little while. Something new, something fresh. And Paul draws this line and he says, the problem isn't your church. The problem isn't your community. The problem isn't that you read the King James or the NIV. The problem isn't your spouse. If you're not growing as a Christian, you've hit a place of just pure stagnation. And you're not moving forward with the Lord. It's not because of work. It's not because the country is down the toilet. And it's so decrepit and more sinful than it ever was in the 50s. It's not because of that. It's because you chose to not go further with the Lord. And that's it. And the Apostle Paul sets this whole thing up and he says, you've got to understand, there's more to Jesus than what you've got to there's more. And if you are not anteing up, then you don't get to play. You have to ante up to play. Paul says, if it's not happening for you, it's not because of anybody else but you. Well, my wife is really the problem, really. If it wasn't for her, I could be happy. It's my job. Have you seen the people I have to work with? If I had better people to work with, these sermons would be better. But they're not. Because of him. We can move forward, except have you seen the people that come to this church? You know what the problem is? If our rail trail was paved, then maybe more people would come here. That's what I mean. The problem is me. And the stuff, the reason I can't move forward with the Lord is me. It has everything to do with personal responsibility. And the Apostle Paul is going to kindly slide this under the door and let them have it. But he's going to do it in such a way that they'll be encouraged. Check this out. Now, you need to know something about this. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 9 to verse 20 It is 218 words. And in the Greek, it's one sentence. One sentence. 
218 words. That's how I talk, but that's how Paul writes. You know, let's take a read of this. You're going you're to love it. This thing goes on and on. By the time we're done with this one sentence, you'll be like, I don't know where to begin. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing next. Take a look at this. Starting in verse 9. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in, the, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things and in all things and holds all things together. He is the head of the body in the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He, may, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross, period. Uh... Can you imagine the guy who's like, maybe if this is getting, like he's speaking this and his writer is trying to, can you back up? Like, can I put a period? Do you breathe ever? This is is an incredible sentence. Here's what's crazy, is it's not the longest of his sentences throughout the epistles. It's not his longest. Oh, 218 words? That's nothing. So how in the world do we get the information out of this thing if we don't have periods and we don't have um, verse markers? Let's break it down. Take a look at this. Paul begins and he offers us five words that we can focus on this morning. Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to, here's our first word, fill, to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To fill. Do you know what means? You know what it means to say fill? If I were to say to you, I need somebody to fill that cup up, what can you assume about the cup? It's empty. It's a can I have it back? Thank you. It's empty. You only fill things up that are empty or that are lacking. But if it's full and I say to you, will you fill that up? And you're like, uh, it's it's full. Paul says to them. I'm praying that God will fill you. This goes back to the first part. If there's a problem and you're stagnant in your spiritual life, it's because you're not full. You're not full to capacity. You're not full. The problem isn't somebody else. The problem is you. You're not full. It's a great, it's a great word. The next one is this. Knowledge. This is, this, is, this is perfect. There's a difference between Facebook stalking somebody and having dinner with them. Right? 
There's a world of difference. Like you can look on Facebook and be like, oh, I, oh, what, this guy or this girl or, oh, yeah, I know their family. And like, like, do you know them? Well, I mean, I just Facebook stalked them. I don't really know them, know them. I just Facebook stalked them. <laughs> oh, okay. That's not weird at all. And then setting across the table and having dinner with them. There's a difference. There's a difference between reading a book about somebody and sitting down and talking to that person. And Paul draws a line. And when he says that you will be filled, that means you're lacking. The next part is with knowledge. But it's not just knowledge like, did you read a book about Jesus lately? If not, what do you expect to happen? It's not that. The word he uses is different for, a different word for knowledge. This is epi-knowledge. Well, what does that mean? It means first-hand experience. Can you talk to me about the Lord from a first-hand experience? This is the difference between that kid in Sunday school who knows all the answers, but he's just a terrible kid. You know what I mean? God, Jesus, Moses, Abraham, uh, the rainbow. Like, he's got all the answers, but he's a smart aleck and he's popped in the mouth. You know what I mean? There's a difference. There's a world of difference. Well, this kid's got all the answers. Does that mean he has knowledge? Well, he has knowledge, but does he have epi-knowledge? No, he doesn't have epi-knowledge. Epi-knowledge is first-hand experience. Do you have an authentic, experience-based relationship with Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is, you, you have read about Him. And you have the Spirit. And it's moving in you. And it's moving in your church. And Epaphras speaks. And things in your life changes. But at the end of the day, is it drifting on to more days of the week than just Sunday? Does this carry over into the workplace? Are your workplace dealings and your business dealings do they show epi-knowledge of Jesus Christ? First-hand relationship knowledge with Jesus Christ. Do the customers that come in and see you, do they, do they notice that you must be in contact with somebody? If you remember about the disciples, there was this thing where before they were just terrified and scared and they were hiding. And then after Pentecost, something happened. Then they're brave and they're out of control. And they tell him, shut up, get out of the temple, you can't be here, you can't be preaching here, and they just kept going back. At one point, somebody says, and we could tell, they had obviously been with Jesus. Why? Because when you've spent time with Jesus, do you know what happens to you? You are weird. I don't mean weird like holy roller, Bible thumper, weird. I mean like you've had contact with something that is not like the rest of us, and it shows. And you know people like that. You know people who you think to themselves, they pray and it sounds like they, like they are talking to somebody and that they like think about each other during the day. And I'm, with the way they talk, I'm convinced that maybe Jesus thinks about them during the day. And they just, they talk and have a relationship. And Paul is telling the Colossians, he's saying, listen, you just graduated kindergarten in Christianity. And you think you know it all, but you don't. There's more. There's a lot more. I remember a conversation with one of my kids, and I don't remember which one it was. They had just finished up a year of school, and they came home, and it was summertime, and, and the conversation was, how much longer do I have to go to school? <laughs> well, let's see. 
you're a first grader, so second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. Well, from the look, and you can see the look on the face like, who, who made this crap up, you know? <laughs> who designed this system? That's a bunk. <laughs> what Paul is saying is, hey, the, don't start, just because your neighbor who is a Jew and he sacrificed an animals at the temple, and he seems like a really good guy. And because maybe you feel like you're not moving forward, that doesn't mean you've got to sacrifice your animals because somehow that's going to help you. We're not there. And just because this guy over here, he does a, he does a weird seance at night, and he's got a you know, cross or something in the yard, but he's such a good guy, he's so nice. His business is thriving. That doesn't mean you need to do a seance in your yard. Jesus is enough. And that's where Paul will get to uh, probably next week when he begins to say, he, is, he was before it. He made it. He holds it together. He is the image of the invisible God. He is all things everywhere. Nothing exists without Him. What Paul is saying right here is this. Um, there's more Jesus to be had. If you're just tired of Jesus, then say that. But He's drawing us into a place of faith to where we can give more of us to Christ. Here's the third word that He focuses on. Verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Live a life. Live is the word walk. That you may walk in a manner, in a way The next word is worthy. And the word worthy, great word, but the original is that matches. If you were to take them and put them on a scale, your walk and Jesus' walk looks the same. (laughs) Good try. (laughs) Right? For real, Paul? Like that. People just won't be able to tell you two apart. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they'll be able to tell us apart, you know, by my terrible language or something, something, you know? Really, Paul? He says, yes, this is what I'm praying for you. I've not stopped praying this for you. That you will walk in such a way that it matches the same stride as Jesus Christ Himself. Okay. I I don't know if I can do that. You're right, you can't. You can't. You can't, it's impossible. We can do our best to be sinless and still screw it up. We can't. How do we do that? Paul says, this is what I'm doing. I'm praying for you that you'll be filled up. Filled up with what? The Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. You need to come in contact with Jesus Christ in an experience-based, authentic relationship so that you can walk away and be different. Let me ask you a question. Just a, just a little experiment. The majority of people in the world feel like, on some level, God is mad at them, okay? So, so that we all feel included, if you have ever felt that way, or if you currently feel that way, please raise your hand. If you ever have, or if, you know, you currently do, ever felt like God is mad at you. Let me, let me, let me show you something. He's not. Feel better? <laughs> no? 
You don't feel better? I just told you he's not. He's not mad, but like do you like do you instantly feel better? No. Why? Why would my opinion on how God feels about you change you? Or even a better question, why would my opinion on how God feels about you not change you? Here's why. Because you have to experience that. You have to experience that relationship with Jesus Christ and you have to hear Him say or imply or lay on your heart or comfort you in such a way that you walk away and go, He's really not mad at me anymore. I can tell you all day long, He's not mad at you. The Lord's not mad at you. The Lord's not mad at you. At the end of the day, you're going to walk out and I cannot compete with the self-beating thoughts that go through your head. Correct? I can't. You can put it on a piece of paper, put it on the mirror, God's not mad at me, and then at some point, this is what you'll do. You'll look at it and be like, God's not mad at me, except for that one thing. (laughs) Except for that thing I did a long time ago and I really wrecked everything. He's probably still mad about that. I'm probably going to hear about that when I get to heaven. And that's what we do. What changes that? When somebody grabs you by the face and says, look at me, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Here's what I am. So happy. So happy that we're here. So happy that we're together. We're good. We're good. Now let's walk together. Last word. Last word of our five words. The word please. So that we may please the Lord. So that we can walk in such a way that matches the same stride as the Lord. So that we can Please, the Lord. Why is that important? Because you think God's mad at you. That's why. Because we live in this world, in this mindset, that God is probably pretty mad at me for the way I've lived my life. Okay, can I give you some advice? Get over it. I know that doesn't help, but I wanted to say it. Like, get over it. Like, he's not, he's not mad. He wants a relationship with you. Let me ask you something. If your child went missing, which... which which emotion would you have first? Fear and desire of reconciliation or anger? How dare him do this? Do you see how ridiculous that is? I've wandered off the path. I'm pretty sure God's mad at me. I'm pretty sure God's looking for you. I'm pretty sure you ought to probably find him as quick as you can. Why would you want to Why would you lash out at a child who is not where he needs to be? Oh my goodness, my kid is missing. I cannot wait to find him. He's getting beat. No. (laughs) Yet that's the the impression we put on the Lord. We put that on him. Oh, I wandered off the path. He's probably going to kill me when he sees me next. The Apostle Paul sets this up so that he can say this. If you please him, you don't have to worry about that, correct? So if we can do these things, if you can get your your walk, if you can be filled to capacity, if your walk can match the same stride as Jesus, if you can walk in such a way that is worthy, then you will please the Lord. And you know what happens when you please the Lord? You get rid of that, you get rid of that stuff called condemnation that deals where you just beat yourself down all the time. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nobody gave you permission to beat yourself over the head. Did they? Nobody gave you permission and scuba gear to go to the depths of the sea to get your sin and drag it back up. Did they? Because that's what Christ did with your sin. 
As far as the east is from the west, and to the bottom of the sea. Yet some of you think you're Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, but blah, 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 blah. look at this one, Lord. What are you doing, you more? I didn't even know where I put that. Put it back where you found it. Stop doing this. And the Apostle Paul is meeting us in that place and he's saying, because you will please the Lord. And you know what happens when you please the Lord? You are free from guilt. Not guilt like guilty like that, but guilty like the guilty feelings. You're free from guilty feelings. How many guilty feelings hold us up in almost everything we do? Tons. Yet if we can please the Lord, what happens next? We are free. We are free to live and not to sit around and feel guilty the rest of our life. Beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Colossians is such a good book. Let's go to the next, the next part. What are the enemies? What are the enemies of our faith? What are the things that keep us from moving further or digging deeper into a relationship with Jesus? What are the three personality types? What are the three excuses? What are those things? Well, I've outlined them for you. You'll appreciate them. Number one, the victim guy. Why I can't move forward, Jesus, is because I'm the victim guy. With me? This will step on toes. So, love you. Jesus loves you. Hang in there. All right? The victim guy. Here's, here's, here's what the victim guy says. I can't have an authentic relationship with God because people don't like me. <laughs> I can't have an authentic relationship with God because I lost somebody important to me. Thus, I can't have a relationship with God. I can't have an authentic relationship with God because of my childhood and I can't seem to forgive. I can't seem to forgive. I can't seem to get away from it. If we're going to ask a modern day prophet, hey, what do we need to do about this victim guy? What are the things we need to do to, to help kind of diffuse the situation so that we can move forward with Christ? A modern day prophet for us would be maybe somebody from Disney and their advice would be this. Let it go. Let it go. Right? Let it go. Let it go. You know, that's going to be the thing you hold on to for the rest of, of all the beautiful things in this world. Yeah, but this thing. Okay, there's more to life. Greater things. Greater peace. Greater love. Greater joy. Greater relationships. But we have to hold on to this thing. That's the victim. Let me tell you what the book of Ephesians says about that. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Modern day translation, let it go. <laughs> Along with malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let it go, my friends. The world is going to kick you in the teeth. There was absolutely nothing but a promise that was going to happen. In this world, you will have trouble. That's Jesus. In this world, it's gonna suck. Happy birthday. <laughs> like, that's it, you know? Like, it doesn't get any better than this. This is what it is. If you want better than this, you better talk to Jesus. Because he's the only one that's gonna polish this up. Second one, the ego guy. First one's the victim guy. Next one's the ego guy. Here's the ego guy. This is what he says. I can't build a relationship with Jesus because I don't want to trouble Jesus with all my stuff. Oh yeah, I'm sure Jesus would just be hassled by all the baggage. 
I can't pray to God because praying, I think, just for myself is just selfish. So I don't pray for myself. I just pray for other people. Really? Oh, you got this? You don't need no prayer? You and Jesus don't need to connect? Other people do, but you don't? Really? Listen, you need to, you and Jesus need to have a conversation. You need to leave everybody else alone for a little while. All right. Third thing. I can't get right with Jesus because I'm not that holy roller type and I don't want him making me a weirdo. I got news for you. You're a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, you're human, right? We're all weirdos. Across the board, you're a human. Listen, there's not an in-group. You with me? There's not an in, there's not an in-crowd. There are preferences, there are dreams, there are hopes, there are people that you connect with, people you don't connect with, you have common interests. There's not an in-crowd. You're all weird. We're all weird. Some of you are differently weird. It, it doesn't change anything. Well, I just don't want to be the holy roller type. So let me get this right. Your fear that Jesus is going to make you a holy roller is going to be the reason that your life stays stuck and sucks. Not only are you weird, but now you're dumb. You know what I mean? Like that's where it just goes to the next level. Now it's not just weird. Now you're dumb. Egotistical. The ego guy will stand there. No, I just don't want to. I'm going to handle it on my own. I don't want to do this. I don't want to let people into my pain. I don't want to talk about my trouble. It's just not the manly thing to do. Here's what I love. Here's what I love, love, love about our mission statement stuff. People can walk in and they can look up and they can be like, brass knuckles. Yeah, that's tough. Until you get to the meaning of the verse. And the meaning of the verse is that I beat my body and make it a slave. You know what that means? That means that sometimes I'm not willing to beat my own body and make it a slave. So I have, to, I have to call in assistance from other men who are willing to do that for me. Who's signing up for that? Phew. When we reach out for help, when we call other people into our pain, when we talk about the hard decisions that we have to make inside our family unit, when we are working our tail ends off to please the Lord, we'll see a change. But we've got to first get past the ego. Third one, the scared guy. Let me back up. Proverbs, tw- uh, Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Enemy number three, personality type three, excuse number three, whatever you want to call it. This is the scared guy, all right? Scared guy. I can't build an authentic relationship with Jesus because I don't want to find out how bad I am. I don't want to build a relationship with Jesus because He'll ask me to do things that I don't think I can do. I can't connect with Christ because I'm quite sure Jesus can't use me. I'm sorry that the history of your decisions in life have put you in a situation or maybe... Maybe they weren't your decisions. Maybe it was something that was done to you. Put you in a place to where it feels as if the scars that you bear are now your identity. Sorry for when dad walked out and he didn't come back. I'm sorry there was nobody in your youth who was affectionate. 
I'm sorry that nobody reached out to you and tried to comfort you and love you in your darkest hour. I'm so sorry. I know it feels like there's not enough good in you that anybody would ever want it. Jesus is really big on recycling. He's a real big fan of picking the underdog. In fact, that's what he's done his entire ministry. He did it when we read it through the Gospels. This is what he was doing. We see the Apostle Paul doing the same thing through his ministry. We see the church through history doing the same thing. Setting up hospitals. Reaching out to the broken. Doctors moving overseas to help people who can't pay them. And here today. Let me ask you something. What in the world gave you the confidence to show up here today? And hold that fear in the other hand. How did that happen? I'm absolutely terrified that I'll find out I'm not worth anything. Yet why are you here? It's because there's some sort of hope. There's some sort of seed of hope. That maybe Jesus will love me. Can I tell you something? He does. He does love you. He can't get enough of you. He wants to draw you in closer to Him. He wants to bind up your wounds. He wants to heal you. He wants to put you back together. He wants to build a relationship with you. That's what Jesus wants to do. I'm sure you're scared. Jesus is going to ask you to do some hard things. And I can't apologize for that. He will. If Jesus didn't ask you to do any hard things, I wouldn't be sitting up here now, would I? Because I didn't choose something like this. This was not my idea. I had a different goal. One I'm not proud of and I'll never tell you, but it was not this. <laughs> it was a completely different goal. <laughs> now it's this. Yeah, he'll ask you to do some things that are hard, but that's because he believes in us. Because he knows he's put something in there that's valuable. And he can use you. Hebrews 4.16 let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach the throne of grace boldly. Do you storm heaven with your prayers? Or are they meek? Dear Lord, dear, dear, Dear God, dear Jesus, will you make better, help me make better? That's bold? That's your prayer life? Dear God, don't let me be naughtier today than yesterday. That's it? That's the, that's the best we got. Paul, listen, the Hebrews writer, kick open the doors of heaven. March to the front in front of the Lord and explain to Him it as best you can. I am broke beyond repair and I need some serious help. What does it say will happen next? So that you will receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. He's not looking for a scared guy. He's looking for a bold guy. So what happens? What happens if I can confess 
that my ego is in the way? What happens if I can confess that? What happens if I can, I can, I can look at this, this fear that's in my life, just this scared thing, and I can, I can talk about it and I can put it out front? What happens if I take all my lame excuses and I admit these are nothing but excuses and I approach the throne boldly? What happens next? What's my guarantee, Jared? What's the guarantee? Paul listed. It's right here. Starting in, uh, in verse 10. You may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. And then there's three things he marks. You'll bear fruit in every good work. You will grow in your knowledge of God. And you'll be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. So what's the guarantee? The guarantee is this. It's a makeover. A spiritual makeover. You'll be strengthened. You'll be changed. You'll produce work. You'll produce fruit in everything that you do. If I can connect with Jesus, that's what can happen. Jared, why is it when I begin to try to share my faith with somebody or invite somebody to church or I try to be nice to somebody, like it just feels like it's flat and nobody hears it and nobody really responds to it? It might be because Jesus wants to have a relationship with you first. It might be that. Jared, what if, why is it when I try to like grow closer to the Lord, I feel like it's just kind of dull? I think probably because you're not approaching the throne of grace boldly. Because you know what happens when you do? You learn something. And you know what you learn? And I've learned this. He's not mad at me. I can tell you that and it's just knowledge. But I can epi-knowledge say, he's not mad at me. Because I've experienced it. Because I've experienced it. Then this last one. He will strengthen me with all power. It's such a cool phrase. Look at this line. Verse, uh, let's see. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every good way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power. Strengthened is this word. It's where we get our word dynamite. So that you will be dynamically infused with, and then the next word is dynamite as well. You will be dynamically infused with dynamic power. Sounds like the, uh, the, the late night guy um, that sells like the, the sham wow stuff, doesn't it? Like it's just a dynamic rag. It is a dynamic time for you to buy it. It's a dynamic price. Like this is what it sounds like. Paul is throwing this out there. Look, this is why. Do you want power in your life? Can you not overcome the temptation? Can you not overcome the sin? Then you know what you need? First-hand experience with Jesus Christ and you'll be strengthened to overcome the current circumstances that are holding you back. Okay. Let's close. Jared, I need a practical, step-by-step outline. What do I need to do? Where do I start for this to begin to happen in my life? Where, what are my chances? Raise my chances for me of me encountering Jesus on an epi-knowledge level. What do I need to do? Okay. I got four of them. All right. They're slow. I mean, they're, they're quick. Make church a family commitment. 
eh, I don't know if I really want to. Okay, see, that's what I mean. Make church a family commitment. Listen, you're going to fight all the way to church with your family at some point, I promise you. Get in the car! Get! The shoes don't... I don't even care if the shoes don't... Get in the car! Somebody... Did you comb your hair? Did you comb your hair? You didn't comb your hair. The shirt's on backwards. Just like your mother. Get in the car! Look, it's going to happen. But you know what? Make the commitment. Make the commitment. I'm going to be here. Why? Because this is the thing we say all the time. Keep coming. I'm just really struggling. Keep coming. I just don't know that I can hold on and just keep going through life like if just keep coming here. Something will give. Something will break. But you have to keep walking. Keep coming. Don't stop going. Next one. Make Bible reading a part of your daily routine. I really don't have time. Do you watch CSI? <laughs> yeah? You, you into the new MacGyver series, are you? Yeah? Are you into the voice? Got time for that? Got that 45 minutes on your hands? Make Bible reading a, a part of your daily routine. Well, I don't really know where to start. Yeah, it's kind of like a book. Um, except you can pick anywhere you want to start. That's the great thing, right? Where do you want to read? Start in Matthew, if that makes you happy. Just read. Read. Psalms. Proverbs. It, read. Just make it a daily habit. Next thing. Bring others into your pain. Got heavy decisions? You got stuff, you deal with, stuff you're dealing with? Stuff you can't get past? Bring others into your pain. Listen, can I tell you guys something? Look, the, the brass knuckles thing up here, that doesn't mean like we're tough guys, so we just do it on our own. It's the opposite of that. That's not what we're after. I don't have all the answers. And for me to ever assume that I do have all the answers makes me an idiot, an even more of an idiot than already, right? I don't have the answers. This means I'm disciplined enough to reach out and get the help that I need. That's what it means. Bring others into your pain. You got a big decision? Got things going on in your life that you just, you need another perspective? It doesn't make you weak to ask for help. Uh, For you kindergarten dudes, you don't lose your man card or whatever that thing is? You with me? You don't lose it because you ask for help. Because you confess the stuff that's broken in you. That don't make you weak. You know what weak is? Weak is going down that freaking toilet, that downward spiral of just getting worse and worse and worse to where you're so unhealthy, your friends write you off, your kids write you off, your family writes you off, everybody writes you off. Good for you. I mean, you're a real strong man because you kept that secret so long, but you're by yourself. Bring other people into your pain. Last one. You're going to love this one. Ready? Pray out loud with your family. Ooh. Uh, I think you made that one up, Jared. I don't think that's really important. I don't think you really have to do that. Really? Do I need to go back to uh, point number two on the ego side? Do you know why praying out loud is hard? Because you don't want to sound like an idiot. That's why. Do you remember when you saw her and she was like wherever she was and you thought she was cute and you're going to talk to her? Like, what's up, girl? You know? You're not nearly as smooth as you think you are and you try to like say those things. You're like, uh, I go to school. You know what I mean? Like, hey, that's, I saw you at the laundromat. Like you got no, you know what I mean? Like, listen, all relationships are like that. When you just meet somebody, like, oh, I think this is a nice guy. Hey, how you doing? Good. 
So what do you do? And you're having some weird conversation about the weather and the chiefs and like jobs and stuff you don't even care about, you know? It's just weird and it's awkward. Do you think it's going to be different with Jesus? It's not. Uh, so Lord, hey, this is my family. You made them. Um, yeah. And we pray out loud with our family. Why? Because we're building a legacy. Because we're humbling ourselves. Because we do hard things. We put ourselves in a situation to where we say, you know what? I need to grow and I need to learn how to do this. Well, but what if I learn how to do that? Then somebody's going to want me to do it out loud somewhere. <laughs> Maybe so. If they do, say no. Just say no. But learn how to do it. It shows humility. It shows humility that puts us in contact with Jesus Christ. Love the book of Colossians? This is the book of Colossians. Next week we're going to get into uh, something a little heavier, a little more uh, uh, weighty on theology side. And it'll, be, it'll be, kind of, be kind of fun. But let's pray and we'll get out of here. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. We appreciate your word. We uh, thank you for Paul's willingness to write this letter. Uh, Lord, your willingness to preserve a letter like this through history so that we would have something to be able to base our relationship with 